Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. It's time to hear the Word of God. Did anybody come expectant and ready to receive what God has for you? Tonight, we're not just hearing from a guest. We're not just hearing from another pastor who's right here in our city. We're hearing from family tonight. And a dear brother, Pastor Tim Ross, is in the building. That was good for me. Can we give it up for Jesus, our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords? Thank you, God, for Jesus. You may be seated. I'm so grateful uh, that you decided to come to be a part of a move of God on a Sunday night. Y'all like really like church. I drove up. um, It was very, very interesting. I thought it was so cool. Uh, to drive up to Gillies and to see security outside and so many people walking into the building, uh, to cross over to the parking lot, to see social Dallas signs next to VIP ticket line signs, and to pull up behind some cars and see them taking money for parking. And then I drive up. And the lady's looking like, what you here for? You here for a concert? You here for church? I said, church. And she was like. I'd have to pay for parking. And, and, And there were people that got dressed up tonight to go to a concert. And there are people that got dressed up tonight to be in his presence. I just thought it was the coolest thing to see the choices people made of where they wanted to be on a Sunday night. Now, SZA is a good singer. I'm sure some of you all have listened to her albums. It might be next to your worship playlist, depending on your mood. But the fact that you chose to be here says a lot about what you are seeking in this season of your life. And so I just want to thank you for making the choice to be here when you clearly could have been there. And I think God has a word for us tonight. Um, Pastor Robert and Taylor Madu, they're my, I'm ride or die for them. Um, and you just never, just I'm just telling you as kind as I can tell you, don't ever mess with those two. Because I'm from Cali. And I will pull up and pop the trunk. And I'll let it fly. I just will. I'll let it fly. And I won't miss. I don't do drive-bys. I make in-person appointments. (laughs) 
but I love them very much. They're like my brother and my sister, and I'm so grateful for uh, you all saying yes to God's work and to see the fruit of it, even through shaky knees and what ifs is just absolutely amazing. So thank you for your yes. Thank you for your yes. Uh, Pastor Robert mentioned my family. I am married to the finest woman breathing on the planet. Uh, my wife, Juliet, is uh, five foot four and a quarter, half Jamaican, half Bahamian, super fine, and all mine. Uh, she's the mother of our two children, Nathan and Noah. They are 13 and 11. We have, this past May, been married 22 years. So, um, she's just amazing, and she says hi to everybody. I'm ready to go to work. How many people came to get something tonight? If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 17. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. I, I want to read from a very familiar chapter, uh, but I want to uh, hone in on a few verses that perhaps you may have just read over. And the reason why um, I say perhaps is because I have been preaching for 25 years and it was only in my last pass through the Old Testament and reading 1 Samuel 7, 17, that God showed me something that he never let me see in 25 years of preaching. And every, anytime God gives me a revelation out of his word, I feel like I just won the Powerball lotto. It's just like, I can't believe you let me see something and that you would wait 25 years before you showed it to me. You do understand that the Bible is the only book that's breathing. It's the only book that's alive. The more you open it, it opens you. The more you read it, it reads you. The more you go to it, the more it comes to you. And so he showed me something that I'm just, oh, I'm turned up. First Samuel chapter number 17, I'm reading from the 12th verse through the 18th verse, reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Here is what it says. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. Now, for somebody that's perking up right now, like, oh! I think I know this chapter. This is the chapter in the story of David and Goliath. But there's something here preceding this fight with David and Goliath. And spoiler alert, David won. That I just want us to really see. David was the youngest son. David's three older brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem for 40 days. Every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along 
and bring back a report on how they are doing. I know that don't sound like much that I just read you, but there is something in there, y'all, that's gonna cook you. Well done. How many note takers do I have in the room? You love to take down notes because in three days' time, this would be your sermon as if I never even preached it to you. By the fourth day, you're going to be like, I was in the Spirit of the Lord on Sunday night. And God just, he just deposited a word into my belly. And I just want to share it with you. And I don't need any credit. You don't have to cite my name because everything from the kingdom is public domain. It's yours. You're welcome. For those of you all taking notes, please write this down. The title of this message is, Don't Be Too High to Come in Low. Don't be too high to come in low. Bow your heads. Let's pray over the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, humble us. Amen. I pray quick. I know I just disappointed all the intercessors. Uh, But I'm the one you went over for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 17 is absolutely pivotal to Israel's history. For without it, we have no historical turn in the narrative of how King David came to be who he was. As amazing and as profound as the story, I'm talking about the real story of David and Goliath is. And the reason why I say the real story is because this is a story that's introduced to us uh, from an early age in children's ministry. Uh, You'll have kids coming out of children's church with coloring pages of David against Goliath, but it's the G-rated version. Mommy, David threw a rock at Goliath, and God gave him victory. It's the G-rated version of the story. The R-rated version of the story that is very, very clear in Scripture is that David didn't just win. He murked your boy. He hit him with a rock that has such velocity and trajectory to it that scripture says it sank into his forehead. Now, I don't know about you, I've been hit with rocks before. And when rocks hit me in the head, they... And even though it would hurt, I lived. I never had a hollow point rock sink into my head and then I, I die. Now, that's part of the story, but after David hits him with the first rock he threw out of five, he runs up to Goliath, kicks off his helmet, pulls out Goliath's sword, picks Goliath up by the locks of his dead head, cuts off Goliath's head, and walks it back to Saul's tent. Is this him? Is this the dude that was talking for a month and a half about the sovereign God of Israel? 
I, I just want you to look, I want you to identify him. I want to make sure I got the right dude because I could go back. I'm that gangster. Is this the person? And Goliath is sitting there like this. And once Saul has confirmation that, that this is the person, David is like, all right, do you need me to play the harp for you again? It's just a day in the life of David. And, and the story's absolutely profound, but, but you have to understand that if it was not for what I just read you, this story never happens. It would be criminal of me to give you the context to what I just read you without giving you some backstory first because by all intents and purposes, the story of David should have never ended with him as king. The story of David should have ended with him as a warrior in Saul's army because David was not God's first choice. As a matter of fact, Saul is the one that should have his DNA and genealogy linked to Jesus. But through this last pass of me reading 1 Samuel, I learned something about Saul that actually broke my heart for him. I saw him in a new way. Because this time that I, when I went through 1 Samuel, I realized that, that the reason why Saul was disqualified is not just because he got angry with David and, and, and not just because he was insecure. There's something that goes back a little further. And I want to give you this before I give you the revelation God gave me, because without this, you might miss the whole thing. Saul was called and chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. You have to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter number nine to read the story, and I hope you do so in your own time because what you will find is that uh, Saul's father, who was a wealthy man, lost his donkeys. And he sends Saul and his servant out to go find the donkeys. And after a long time of searching for them and, and they can't find them, uh, the, the servant says to Saul, perhaps we should go to the prophet and perhaps he can tell us where the donkeys are. And so they get some money together and they go and give a gift to the prophet Samuel. And they say, could you help us find our donkeys? And not understanding that this was a divine moment God whispers in the ear of Samuel and tells him, remember I told you yesterday that about this time tomorrow I will show you who the king of Israel needs to be? Samuel's like, yeah. He's like, that's him right there. Saul has no idea that the errand he goes on for his father is literally setting him up with a date with destiny. And after going through this errand for his father, Samuel tells him, God told me that you are supposed to be the king of Israel. And here is Saul's response. Me? You can't be talking to me. I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least of all families. Now, scripture already said his father was wealthy. But Saul did not see him or his family the way that God saw him. And he said, uh, I, I, I don't know if, if it's me. And, and, and Samuel said, no, no, it's you. And he pours the oil over his head. And this is old school anointing oil. 
This is not new version, new polite Christianity. We don't want to mess up your clothes. Here's a little oily cross for you. This is old school. I'm pouring the E-V-O-O all over your head. It's going to come down your face, and whatever this collar is, it's ruined. Don't even take it to the dry cleaning. It's ruined. If it's silk, it's gone. If it's cotton, it's gone. Whatever it is, going to be gone. And Saul leaves with this oil on his head in a private meeting with Samuel, understanding that he is going to be the next king of Israel. The next day, instead of Samuel just walking out with Saul and making a declaration to the whole children of Israel, he, he, I don't know why he does this, but they decide to do it in a big, grandiose way with a lot of pomp and circumstance by calling out all the tribes of Israel, almost American Idol style and saying, uh, let's line up everybody and then let's see who God has chosen. Samuel already knew and Saul already knew. But they cast the divine lots and they go all the way through the tribes and then when they get to the tribe of Benjamin, then they pull the tribe of Benjamin, then they go down all the clans and when they get down with all the clans, they go down to all the families and then they finally say, Saul is the person God has chosen. But when everybody turns around to see Saul, he's nowhere to be found. And scripture says he's literally hiding behind the baggage. And this is the part that I need you to see before I go any further. That Saul's entire leadership was predicated on the way he saw himself that day. Saul's entire leadership style was based on the way he saw himself that day. Because even though Saul decided to obey what God was telling him to do, he never agreed with God. My assignment is to caution somebody in this room from saying yes to the Lord outwardly, but holding a grudge against him inwardly. I'm on assignment to tell somebody in this room that you need to fix the way that you think about the season that you're in. Because if not, you will do the right thing for the wrong reason and you will not even enjoy the season he has put you in right now. Because you've never come into agreement with what God even said about you in this season. God from heaven is looking down on Saul and he's saying, that is the king of Israel. And Saul is looking at himself going, why am I the king of Israel? For no other reason than God said so, Saul. But he couldn't receive it. So he did it with a grudge. Fine. If you say so, anybody beside me ever been in a season with God where you threw a tantrum? I mean, I mean, I, I, if this were you want me, Lord, but I just want you to know, sir, I'm not pleased. 
And I'm telling you, you will miss the entire thing you're supposed to learn holding this grudge and that poison will come out of you and start to affect everybody around you. Everybody that gets around you will wind up under the same spirit that you have and you're in the right place and in the right position, but because you don't agree with God, you can't enjoy it and nobody can enjoy you. Saul's entire ministry was marked by anger, manipulation, control, and insecurity. Not because of anybody that he was around, but because of how he saw himself. He was made king, but he could never believe he was king. So the only way that he could hold his power was through anger and manipulation and control. Because that's what insecure people do when they don't believe in what God has called them to do. I can't just hold you with an open hand because I know God is the one that put me here. I got to try to control you and bend you to my will instead of you being submitted to God's will and staying in position. I got to try to hold you in your position because I'm insecure with the season that God has me in. And that insecurity literally cost him the whole kingdom. After Saul refused to wait for Samuel to offer a sacrifice and then subsequently refused to kill everybody in the territory that he had conquered, God said, I'm done with Saul. I've moved on from Saul. Don't, that, 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 Samuel, Samuel, come. don't talk to him no more. We're moving on. I found a man that's after my own heart. I've fired Saul. Well, well, but, but, but he's still the king. That's right. I, I haven't removed him from his office, but I have removed my approval from his office. I'm going to take my time tonight. I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Whatever God gives to you, he will never take it away. If, if that woman got a great voice in the other venue and she is singing and she never has to sing to the glory of God, God is not going to give her laryngitis because she doesn't want to sing praise and worship music. But that doesn't mean that his approval has to be with her. God will never take away any gift or calling he gave you, but his approval can be taken away at any time. And all the anointing is, is God's approval on the gift he gave you. Everybody thinks the anointing is a chill bump or a good run or a good lick on the guitar or, 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 or the way them keys went through those augmented chords and it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with oratorical ability. It has everything to do is if God says, I approve of that gift that I put on the inside of you. He removed it from Saul and sent Samuel on an assignment to find the next king. Samuel winds up in Bethlehem, ultimately at Jesse's house. And there's seven people in the room that have the capacity to be king. 
Samuel gets ready to look at the first one, Eliab, the oldest brother of Jesse. And when he looks at Eliab, he thinks to himself, this is probably him right here. Because on the outward appearance, he was tall, just like Saul was. He was a head and shoulders above the rest of his brothers, just like Saul was. And so he thought, based on the last king, this may be the one he wants, this may be the way God wants to move again. May I caution you again? To not fall in love with God's methods. Because at any time, they could change. Ooh, I'm talking to somebody in this building. Every time God gets ready to move, my, warm, my right hand gets real warm, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, every, time, every time God moves in my life, there's always usually a rain that comes right before, and then the rain don't come for five years. And you're thinking you missed a sign from God, but his method changed. It's not that he's not speaking anymore. He's just not doing it the way that you're used to him doing it, which means you have to stay closer to him than the methods he uses. Can't fall in love with the method, gotta fall in love with the man behind the methods. He says, don't look at, don't look at what man looks like. He quotes this, this verse that becomes famous in, in, in Christian circles. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God is the one that looks at the heart. And so many people have taken that particular statement and, and tried to use it to just dress any kind of way and act any kind of way. And then they use this verse as their proof that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is the one that looks at the heart. But slow it down, he just dissed you. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God is the one that looks at the heart. Slow it down, he just dissed you. Man does look at the outward appearance. So pay attention to that but I am the one that looks at the heart. You can't come in here in your pajamas full of an anointing and expect God to move on somebody to choose you. Because man does look at the outward appearance. So God is saying, make sure you look the part outside because man needs to see that. But make sure your heart is pure inside because I need to see that. I don't know who that was for. Some of y'all need to throw your little jumpsuits away and pull out some khakis and a polo shirt because your next promotion is coming as soon as you stop keeping it real. Seven, seven sons. Seven sons, he goes down the line. It's not for, the oil doesn't flow for anybody. Saul's like, nobody, Samuel's like, nobody here? Jesse, are you sure? This is it, I came to anoint somebody. I know I'm in the right house. I know these are your sons. Is there anybody else? And Jesse just kind of flippantly says, well, there's, I mean, I got one more, but he's, he, he's out with the sheep. <laughs> Bruh, are you kidding me? I've been here for like 90 minutes and God is not giving me permission to move on from all your sins. You telling me you have eight sons, but you only invited seven? He said the last one's taking care of the sheep. Samuel said, well, I can't move until you go get them. They was like, oh. 
Your dad wants you. No, he said, come in now. David been out there with them sheep all day long. David comes in the house. Huh? <laughs> Anybody do that to your parents when they call you? Because you know better than to say, what? Because you'll die. David came in the house. He was like, huh? Sweating, hair matted, that good old Jerusalem hair, all Jewish hair all frizzy, curls out, humidity, sweat, got sheep dung in between his toes, just sitting there stinking. Walks in the house, didn't even know there was a coronation going on for a king. All seven of his brothers is fresh to death. Goatees trimmed up, beards lined up, hair shampoo, they looking good. He in there stinking. What's going on in here? Well, they looking for a king and, you know, they said it was going to be, I, I guess it's, you know, he just, he just needs to check real quick and then you can go right back out. And Samuel went to praying and God said, that's him right there. And Samuel looked at David and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And he poured that oil on his head in the same way he poured it on Saul's head. And the only difference between Saul and David is that David agreed with God. It's the only difference. That oil came down his head, down his, down his face, into his clothes, and it's really anticlimactic what happens next. Because he's like, okay. And he's sitting there oily now. Face slick as all get out. Shining in the, in the light. And, they, and, and Samuel was like, that's it. And he perhaps looked at Jesse and was like, daddy. And he was like, well, just go back out there with the sheep. And David took his anointed self back to where he was. You ever got a word from God and you thought it was going to happen seven minutes after you got the word? Anybody beside me get up at five, six o'clock in the morning, you writing in your prayer journal all the promises of God and it's three weeks later and you're like, why God? I don't understand. I have no idea how this hasn't happened yet, Lord. I wrote it down. I sung the song. You gave me the word while I was listening to oceans. I have no idea why you haven't called me out into the deep yet. This makes no sense, Jesus. Why were there so much time in between his anointing and his final coronation? Because this anointing needed to marinate. It couldn't be something that hit his head and then, and, and then slid right off. It had to soak into the very fabric of who God was calling him to be. 
The anointing that hit his head was intended to change his mind about the way he thought about himself. So David is now out in the middle of a sheep field with a king's mentality. I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm a king out here. I don't know how God is going to make me go to the next level, but I'm a king over these sheep right now. I'm no longer just a shepherd. I am now the king. I am now the king of these sheep. And God is literally using David as a shepherd to teach him how to treat people. The anointing changed his mind. And he's out there with no position, no status, but with the mindset of a king. I don't know who this is for, but there's got to be at least 100 people in the room that say, even though I am not even close to the season that God has called me to be in, my mindset is already like that of a king. I'm already thinking like a king. I'm already thinking like a pastor. I'm already thinking like a CEO. I'm already thinking. I'm already thinking on a different level. So when you come to my sheepfold and say, David, and I'm like, yes. Don't think I'm arrogant. I'm just practicing. I'm practicing for where I'm going to be. I'm stewarding the sheep well because at some point, these sheep will be my subjects. And the way I treat these animals are going to be the way that I treat people. So I'm practicing at the job I'm at now. Some of y'all need to get back to going to work on time. Some of y'all that's working from home need to stop taking a three-hour lunch break. Because how do you expect to become the boss of somebody else and you not treating the person you're working for right now with the same respect? You got to practice how it's going to be for you. There's, a, there's an anointing on his head. But literally nothing else has changed. The scripture says, this is 1 Samuel 16, that after he is anointed and he goes back to the sheepfold, I don't know if this happened at the same time. Scripture is not clear that this happens at the same time, so I will not try to color in the text and, and, and interject that thought. But what I will say is that I think it's interesting that in the same chapter, when David gets the oil put on his head, just a few verses later, Scripture says that an evil spirit comes to vex Saul. I'm not saying it happened at the same time, but it sure did happen in the same chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Scripture says an evil spirit came to vex Saul. Saul was still king, but without the anointing, it vexed him. Saul still had the position, but without the anointing, he had no grace for it. Scripture says that the servants came to him and said, you know what, perhaps we can hire somebody to play some music that will soothe you when this evil spirit comes upon you. And Saul said, that's a good idea. Go find somebody. And they go and find, guess who? 
David could also play the harp. He wasn't just a shepherd. David was the only shepherd out in the field with a harp like bring the thing 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 bring the thing 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 he's the only one all the sheep out there like I don't know. And they said, go get the boy. They started describing him to Saul. They said, hey, Saul, the dude can play. He's crazy. And he's a shepherd. He's Jesse's son, but he's super handsome. You'll love him. And so Saul invites David to his house. And then he hires him to be his worship pastor. And he's playing the harp every time Saul gets vexed with a spirit. Can you imagine what David is thinking? I just came up. Samuel said I got anointed. And now the king has hired me to be the worship pastor. I'm the MD. I'm in the building. I'm in the room. And Saul's appointment gets David in the palace. Now I want you to imagine, Samuel came to you at your house and in front of your daddy and seven brothers. You were told you were gonna be king. And then in just a few days, Saul invites you to be his music director. Imagine what's going through David's mind, I'm close. I'm close. The only thing that needs to happen now is Saul needs to die. I mean, I'm right here. I could just be like, bow. I could just tell, I'm already close. Maybe he's going to get sick. Maybe I'm going to have to preach for him for like three weeks. I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking, but, but, but he's in the room, and it looks like destiny is lining up. And then this Champion of Philistine decides that he wants to mobilize his army to fight the Israelites. And Saul, whose scripture says, loved David, asked Jesse's permission for him to stay with him as much as possible in the palace. Saul turns around. He had made David his armor bearer. This man turns around and says, we're going to the battle. David's probably like, good, I'm your armor bearer. I'm going with you. And he goes, no, 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 not you. Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah. <laughs> Sir, my brothers, not me. They didn't even get no oil. I mean, I don't want to tell you what Samuel told me because you might murder me today. But I know something. They ain't even got it. And you want them? 
Instead, you made me your, your chief musician. You made me your armor bearer, and you don't even want me to go to the fight. How do my armor bearer, I ain't going with you. Bear your armor. Right. Right. Sir, my job description says bear armor. And for yet another time, David receives rejection from a man who chooses his brothers over him. David has no recourse but to go back home and take care of the sheep. You ever feel like you got close to where God wanted you to be? And it, it seems like you suffered a setback? You ever felt like the next door to open was going to be the place that God really wanted you to be? Like you was right about to step into your destiny and then a choice was made that was out of your control and it seems like it took you back four years? What, what you call a setback, God calls a test. And not simply a test, a character test. This is the quality assurance of your heart. I have to know that you're okay with my plan in my timing. I need to know you're not going to get mad when this doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And he goes right back to those sheep. A guy who has been anointed and has now received position and placement in the palace goes right back to the sheep as if it never happened. And one day, Jesse comes up to David and he says, son, I need you to take this bread and this cheese to your brothers and the captains of Saul's army and get a report of what's going on there and come back and let me know. I'm telling y'all right now, when the Lord showed me this, I almost passed out. Because do you know how humble you got to be? Right, right, right. To know that you're going to be a king. To have already been placed in the palace and then to have your daddy ask you to run an errand. See, this whole message is about humility. But God gave it to me to deliver it to you in this unique way because we have too many people who have barely received any type of promotion that already think they are above doing anything else. I know people that just became the head volunteer. Not one check has been cut for services rendered. They are just the head volunteer, and you can't tell them nothing. It is so nauseating to be around people that got a little bit of a title, and now they above. That's not my job. I, I don't do that. I, I'm the worship leader. I. I, 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 I pray for you. Ah. I, I, I worship. You just joined social. I'm sorry, I'm turning to the apostle now. 
you just joined social. God brought me here and at my last church, we didn't even ask you that. We didn't even, we just said, how are you today? And you went into your resume? I didn't know, nobody, I was the accountant at my last church and I just felt like God called me to come over here and just balance your checkbooks. If arrogance and pride gets in your heart, you won't run an errand. If David was like some of the people in the body of Christ right now, he'd have looked at his daddy and been like, <laughs> Daddy, I don't know if you know this. Maybe you forgot, sir. I mean, it's been a few weeks, but um, remember when Samuel came over? Remember when you didn't invite me into the house and he was trying to find who to anoint and you didn't call me until the very end, sir? And, and then remember when I came in, the oil flowed, sir? Remember what Samuel said? I'm going to be the king. You talking about charcuterie boards, and I'm, I'm trying to, do you know I'm going to be a king, sir? You talking about bread and cheese. Do you know who I am? I'm David, I'm David, sir. I don't know if you know. Let me go ahead and put this emphasis on this syllable. I am David. Think you talking to? If David allows the oil to go to his head instead of rest on his head, he is never going to be qualified to be who God has called him to be. I don't know who I'm talking to in this building, but I need some people that can steward the oil that God puts on your head without allowing it to get to your head. Let me get this straight. I have been anointed by Samuel. I have been appointed by Saul. And you want me to make a delivery. You want me to DoorDash my anointing. You want me to Uber eat the grace that God has put on my life. And here's David's response without even thinking, yes, sir. Yes, sir. How many, daddy? How many did you want me to send? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll be right. And you wanted, you want me to give a report? Yes, sir. I got you. I'm going on. And, and when do you, when do you need me back? Uh, hold up. I got it, daddy. I'm responsible. I got to make sure I have coverage for the sheep. I'm not going to abdicate the role that you gave me to shepherd the people that you gave me. So I got to make sure the sheep are covered. And scripture says David left the sheep with another shepherd and he went on his delivery to do what his dad told him to do. Now, let me tell you why this was so important. Be because Samuel's anointing only changes David's mind.
Saul's appointing only changes David's position. But it is Jesse's delivery that changes David's destiny. And without that delivery, he would have never been in position to do the thing that God called him to do. Because God didn't use the oil to do it, and he didn't use Saul to do it. He used the same person that rejected him. To put him in position to get exactly what he needed to go. Okay, I, I, let, let me give you something else and then I, I promise, because you got to understand that, 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 that woven into David's DNA is a heart of a servant. No matter what position he was given, he was never too high to come down low. No matter what he was doing, and you can check this from the time he's a shepherd to the time he's a king, he was so gracious he was gangster when he needed to be. He was gracious to be the king that I will still serve because this is the position that God has put me in. And there's four, there's, Jesus comes through 42 generations between Abraham and, 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 and Mary. There's 14 generations between David and Jesus. And there's something you got to know. There's a reason why God says, this is a man after my own heart. Because he has the same attitude as God's son. Yeah. Philippians chapter number two. And I'm going to take my time on this. Philippians two, starting at the fifth verse. Here's what Paul writes. You must have the same attitude. Ooh, let me stop right there. I hope somebody can keep that energy. Yeah. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This is an attitude thing, y'all. The whole kingdom is based on attitude. Your attitude is what is going to determine your altitude. If your attitude is right, is not right, promotion is never going to be yours. I don't care how good you can do, what you do, how you do it. I don't care how crazy the skill set is. God will promote somebody with the right attitude before he promotes you with the right skill set. As long as your judgment is still, I can sing better than them. I don't even know why they up there. When I get up there, I'm gonna crush it. No, this platform will crush you with the wrong attitude. Ooh, I'm, that thing stunk, I've smelt that. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Low. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I got to stop right there. Because y'all got to get this. The reason why it was appropriate that Jesus came through the bloodline of David is because David got into position by doing an errand for his daddy. And Jesus got into his position by doing an errand for his daddy. 
before he even said, let there be light, before he had formed anything, before Genesis 1 was even written, God was up in the heavenlies with himself all by himself. And he looked to his right to his son and said, son, I need you to do something for me. You know how Adam and Eve was tripping in the garden and they brought this huge breach between us and Satan's been kicking their butt ever since? I'm going to need somebody to die. And Jesus volunteered. Jesus said, hold on, you, you need me to, what you need me to do? I need blood to be shed from someone with no sin. Jesus says, say less. Start taking off glory. Hold this, Michael. Hold this, Gabriel. I don't know none of the angel, other angels' names, so. Hold this, number three. Jesus took off all his glory. Because if I leave this with David and say, don't be too high to come in low, some of y'all will think you on par with David. I need to humble myself like David. There's somebody above David. When I say don't be too high, Jesus is the example. Jesus is so high that when he came down low, it changed the course of human history. Jesus came down so low that he decided to grow in a womb that he created. Jesus came down so low, he decided to nurse from breast that he put the milk in. I'm giving y'all bars. Jesus came down so low that he decided to give people a sign of a star that he told to hang there. He came down so low that he grew up with people that he created before the world began. He came down so low that he got baptized in water that he was around when it was spoken into existence. He came down so low that he could tell that same water to turn into wine just because he said so. He came down so low that he got in the boat and went to sleep and let the disciples wake him up so he could do what he already knew he was going to do before he even told him to get in the boat. He came down so low. That he could go into the Garden of Gethsemane and tell three dudes to pray for him a prayer that he knew wasn't going to work because he said before the foundations of the world that I would be crucified to make sure y'all can have a family reunion with me. He came down so low that he would actually get on the cross, hang, bleed, and die until your sins and mine passed over his head. He came down so low that a God who had never been dead gave up his own ghost. He came down so low that he would stay in the grave for three days while taking the keys from death, hell in the grave. He came down so low that once he was resurrected, he hung around for 40 days just to hang out with the people that wept over his body. He came down so low so that without sin, he could understand what it's like for you to be tempted. So he can know how to pray for you when he got back to the seat sitting next to his daddy. Don't be 
so high that you can't come down low. I got to finish it. I got to finish it. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Now, 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 here's how you, thank you, Holy Spirit. Ooh, this is good. Here's how you, here's how, oh, okay, uh, uh, let me calm down. I'm getting too high. Oh. If you ever want to know what elevation feels like, get low. If you ever want to know what promotion feels like, take the lowest seat in the house. And you will never get over the privilege and the, and the pure satisfaction of knowing there's no way I could have got here unless the Lord brought me here. I didn't try to use charm. I didn't try to use hookup. I didn't try to say, I know so-and-so. I didn't name drop. I just came in and sat down and I let God open the doors for me. Here's what it says. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name that is above all names. Hear me, not the title. I'm gonna help somebody in here. He did not give him a title that was above all titles, that at the name of that title, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. We don't have power rebuking demons because we call them the chief apostle. I bind you in the name of my chief apostle. I bind you in the name of the prophet, the evangelist, pastor teacher. I bind you in the name of the Rosa Sharon, the great I am, Emmanuel. The Prince of Peace. But isn't it amazing how title hungry our culture has become? Y'all better write this one down. Even if you ain't a note taker, you better write this one down. Demons don't care about titles. Demons do not care about titles. They know names. I'm in here. Seven sons of Siva went to preaching the gospel that Paul was preaching. This is one of the wackest things in the book of Acts I've ever seen in my life. These boys were so impressed by the ministry that they were, that they were exposed to that they ran out and they literally said, we bind you in the name of the God that uh, Paul preaches about. And this demon rose up in this man. And here's what he did not say. Apostles I know. Prophets, I know. Evangelists, I know. <laughs> I made this dude a real demon. <laughs> Turn him into thriller. <laughs> Pastors, I know. Teachers, I know. But who are you? It's not what happened. That demon didn't call a title. That demon said, now listen, Paul I know. Didn't even call him Apostle Paul. Paul didn't even call himself Apostle Paul. Every letter he wrote, he said, I, Paul, an apostle. I want you to know who I am, then I'm going to tell you what I do. I felt that thing. I felt that thing. I felt that thing. This title only lets you know what I do. It's not who I am. I am who God made me to be. And I do what God calls me to do. But don't get it twisted. 
Tim. I do, Pastor. Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. I know them by name. Who I don't know is you. I've never heard a prayer come out of your mouth. Our lowest demons ain't checking for you. Screw tape ain't been assigned to you. Beelzebub ain't been assigned to you. You don't even register on the Richter scale. We're scared of some people. You ain't it. And that one demon and that one man, I don't know how this happens. Because if it's seven of them, I'm, when, when the first homie gets rolled up, I am my brother's keeper, but I also have enough discernment to know we're not going to win. And so I'm going to be like, brothers, retreat. I'm out. (laughs) I don't know if they lined up for the beating, but this dude pummeled seven of them. Text says, and then strip them naked. How do you hang around? How do all of y'all get mollywopped and then strip butt naked? And you just like, uh. <laughs> therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name. The name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you want to know why every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess? Because nobody got lower than Jesus. So everybody will get low in the end. My mom said something to me years ago that I'll never forget as she started to see God opening doors for the ministry that he had entrusted to me and where it was taking me, a kid from Inglewood, California, who wanted to be um, a, a homicide detective. I, I went to school, studied uh, administration of justice. I love law enforcement officers, still carry my gun to this day, uh, everywhere. <laughs> I, I'm letting you know that. Just a public service announcement. <laughs> and and I, I thought I was going to be in law enforcement. And, and uh, God opened doors for me to preach literally around the world. Legit around the world. And I remember the, the, um, God speaking through my mommy. She said, baby, God is using you. But I just want you to remember one thing. No matter how high he takes you, you'll still be at his feet. So when I say get low, I mean wherever you thought you had it made, get lower than that. And if you felt comfortable here, Get lower than that. Because if he elevates you from here, you know it wasn't because you were climbing. 
you know it wasn't because you were hustling. It wasn't because you were grinding. It will be because you were literally laying flat on your face saying you can take me wherever you want to go and he will scoop his hand up under your flat self and elevate you to the position that he wants you to be in. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? I, I just feel like there's somebody in here that's been fighting with God's call because it doesn't seem to be following a pattern that you like. It's made you very uncomfortable to be in the position that you're in, doing the thing that he is asking you to do. And now is the season where God is saying, I want to do something in and through you, but I need you to come into agreement with my will and my way. I've given you an anointing, I've given you a grace, but your next move might be a delivery that I've called you to run. Your next miracle may come through the next errand I tell you to run. So don't be too high to come in low. Don't be too high to come in low. I need to pray for some people, and I know this is going to take some boldness on your part. But while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, the Holy Spirit was speaking to someone through me. And this message wasn't for your friend. You know it was for you. And there's a conviction that the Holy Spirit has brought as you've listened to this message that there's no way I could bring. None of us are eloquent enough as communicators to bring the conviction that only the Holy Spirit can bring. But I promise you there's somebody in here that if you would just give up your timeline, your calendar, your plan, your position, your anointing. I believe God wants to set you up for the greatest season of your life. Now here's where it's gonna take boldness. I need to call a David from out of the field. I need to call some Davids out from out of the field so that they can be positioned where God wants them to be. So if this is you and this was your message, I just want you to meet me at this altar from wherever you are. Thank you, thank you. I'm calling Davids. I'm calling the shepherds. I'm calling the servants. I'm calling those that know that God wants to do something in and through me and there's absolutely no way that can happen if I don't have the heart of a servant. Come on, get as close as you can. 
believe God is doing something in our hearts tonight that is preparing us for the best season of our lives. May not come in the next 90 days. It may not come in the next nine years. But there is something profound that happens when we say yes to your will, yes to your way, yes to your timeline. So Father God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I join my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters. And we all say yes. We say yes to the anointing. We say yes to the position. And we say yes to the errand that you're telling us to run. We humble ourselves before you. We lay down our agenda. We lay down our plans. We lay down our timelines. We lay down our attitudes. <laughs> and we say yes to your will and to your way. Give us the same attitude Christ had. Though he was God, he thought it not robbery with God to get low. So God, we, we step down off of our own mantles. We step down off of our own altars. We step down off of our own pedestals. We say yes to your will, yes to your way, yes to your timeline, yes to your agenda. Lord God, we repent for the attitude we've had in this season. We repent for the complaining we have done. You've been way too good to us for us to be talking reckless. <laughs> We're in the field you chose for us, stewarding the sheep you gave us with the resources that you provided for us. And so God, we say thank you because it could be 10 times worse than this. No matter what season I'm in, as long as you don't take your presence from me, I'm in the right place. God, I never want to be vexed with an evil spirit because I disagree with you. So God, I just say thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for this season. Even though it's cold, thank you for a jacket. Even though it's hot, thank you for some flip-flops. Even though it's hard, thank you for your grace. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. You've never left me hanging. And God, I thank you that even on my worst day, you've been the best person that I could ever have in my entire life. So thank you, Lord Jesus. We will not be too high to come in low. <laughs> thank you for what you are doing in our hearts. Thank you, Lord God, that you elevate us because we are already on the ground. <laughs> However you want to pick us up, Lord God, we say thank you. Use us. We are here for you to do whatever you want to do. Now, God, we rejoice. We celebrate with hearts filled with expectations 
We thank you for what you are going to do in and through us for your glory. We will give you all the glory. We will take none of the credit for what you do in our lives. God, thank you for upsetting our world tonight and helping us have the attitude and the mind of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody give him a praise. Oh, I said somebody give him a praise. Oh, come on, you, you, you about to go to the other side now. You've made it to the other side now. We might as well praise God for what he's about to do. Thank him for the anointing. Thank him for the position. Thank him for what he's about to do in and through you. God, thank you. Your glory, your majesty, your plan, your purpose, your will, your way. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.